Blog Talk Radio. This is that feeling that you get right before you pull into the water box or right after you do your burnout. Check them straps. Roll your neck a little bit. Take a couple deep breaths. You're bumping it in. And you let go. Well, this is the top of the bottom and you know you crushed it. You get the 500 foot out and you start beating the pedal out of that thing. You get to the finish line, you knock them, drop them. Whatever you do, this is that feeling right here. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to another episode of Wheels Up Radio. Once again, Chris has given us the keys to the Cadillac, and we are controlling the boat, as you would say, as Chris is somewhere in the Bahamas, I believe, uh, sailing out there. I think he left uh, last night somewhere. He was in Cape Canaveral, Florida, and uh, I believe he may have lost signal on his phone, so uh, he is officially on vacation, no technology, no Facebook Live for him. No pictures have been put up on Facebook. So hopefully he's enjoying his vacation. You know, I'm sure he's probably going nuts, making sure that uh, everything is A-OK with his Wheels Up Radio uh, show. But, uh, you know, lo and behold, we are in control. Tonight we have the voice of the NHRA Mellow Yellow Series, Mr. Alan Reinhart. Should be on around 7.30 or so to talk about the countdown to the championship, talk about um, some other things, and just get to know a little bit about Alan Reinhardt and how he got started in this crazy sport. The sheriff should be joining us around about 10 after 7 or so, uh, and then we also have the man, the myth, the legend, president of the Tri-Stock Stock Super Stock Association, Mr. Mike Carr with us tonight. How are you doing tonight, Mike? Pretty good, Rob, and good evening to you and everybody in Wheels Up Radio Land. Hope you're doing well this evening, and I don't know where everybody lives. Now, I know if you live in Florida, you don't have this, but we've had a couple frosts up here, so I guess that's Mother Nature's way of kind of knocking and saying, hey, you know, falls here, you know, what is right around the corner with the thicker white stuff, which I hope we don't get a whole lot of this winter. Yeah, I'm kind of hoping that uh, this parlay, I guess, with the nice weather for the first couple of weeks of uh, October and then rolling over to a little bit on the cold side on into the end of October into November uh, maybe leads to us not having such a bad winter. Um, you know, a lot of people, depending on what you looked at or uh, talked to or it was, you know, they believe the Farmer's Almanac and, you know, the Farmer's Almanac says that you might have a very uh, rough winter, uh, some people say that you might have a mild winter. Um, I believe it was mixed this year. I think some of it said that, you know, in the northeast where I live in New Jersey uh, could possibly get a lot of snow, uh, and then we may not get any snow. But uh, either way, uh, we got six grueling months, I guess you would say, of, of winter before it starts to get warm up again, and we can kind of wheel the cars on out and uh, freshen them up and get ready to uh, go racing again. But uh, – we do have a couple more races still left on the docket for uh, some racers here in the area. Uh, I know uh, Dave Lay has his stock super stock season finale this weekend at Echo Dragway. 
And uh, if I read correctly, uh, one of his uh, sponsors, I believe, is throwing up $500 both days on the race to uh, be split between the semifinals and the finalists. So if you're a stock super stock guy and you haven't tore the car down yet and you're getting ready to, uh, you know, maybe get one more hit in, uh, you know, traveling down to Echo Dragway and, and Dave's uh, series, which is always a great time. And uh, then he closes out his series next weekend at uh, Englishtown for his annual uh, Stock Superstock race at Englishtown. It's a non-points event for the East Coast Stock Superstock. And then the following week, Mr. Mike Carr will has his season finale, and that's the traditional Tri-State Stock Superstock race at uh, Hagerstown, Maryland. So uh, I'm going to take away a little bit, Mike, and tell everybody a little bit about that race. Yeah, it'll be the uh, annual Mason-Dixon Stock Superstock Fall Classic at Mason-Dixon Dragway in uh, Hagerstown, Maryland. I guess it's technically Boonesboro, but it'll be my 23rd year in a row going to this race. Um, haven't missed one yet, and I don't know how long the race has actually been going on, but I know somebody was telling the story about Jim Baberka when he still had a 69 Camaro before he switched to the more modern GT cars and he stood the 69 Camaro up on the bumper down there. And I think Jim switched to GT in 83 or 84. It was pretty soon into the GT era of Superstock. So this race has probably been going on since the, mid to early 80s, and I went for the first time in 95. Um, but it's annually, it's in this year also the last uh, event for stock and super stock cars in the Northeast. It'll be Saturday and Sunday, November 4th and 5th. Actually, November 3rd, there's a test and tune from 4.30 to 8 p.m. on Friday. I'm trying to get together either a like a $20 or so entry gambler race uh, or package kind of shootout or something for the early arrivals. I know one year we always get there on Friday just to check out things, and there's between 8, 10, 12 cars there parked already. So they're having testing in figure give them a, maybe a shot at a little bonus kind of race. So it'll be three days of racing in uh, Maryland and November 3rd, 4th, and 5th. And um, it'll be the season finale, like you said, for the Tri-State Stock Superstock Association. And we only had, I believe, nine or ten people in points this year. But everybody still has a mathematical shot at winning the championship. And somebody could even join points this weekend and if they do well both days could win the championship and it might be the only races they run all year so it's always a great way to wrap up the season for us I've always described it as Hagerstown for us it's a combination of Indy and the World Finals it's our biggest race of the year we had 64 cars made first round last year and a couple Cars, unfortunately, broke in time trials or it would have been a seven-round race. So we get the biggest car counts, the biggest payouts. 
It's a, the Sunday race is a guaranteed at least two thousand dollars to win or more. One year it was uh, twenty five hundred to win, thirteen hundred runner up, and they both, as is fairly common in our races, they like to kind of not split the purse, but do like a sixty forty split of the payout, and it paid two thousand to win, eighteen hundred runner up. So I don't know. It's definitely the biggest pain, the biggest car counts, and it's always a fun way to wrap up the season. Somebody described it one year. They said if you threw a party and a drag race broke out, it would be Hagerstown. So definitely looking forward to that here in a couple weeks. And um, in your series, Rob, do you guys ever have that where whatever the stated payout is, the winner and runner-up elect to kind of – split it a little 60 40 seven you know whatever kind of chop it up a little bit uh yeah um we did a little bit at new media this year just because the fact is that the uh the car count wasn't that great for like super comp it was and, and bob was paying out uh 1500 to the winner in all three categories and super comp i think had 14 or 12 cars i believe it was and i still got 1500 dollars and I think the runner-up might have got like 300 or 350, and I believe um, uh, Amanda and Dave Long split it like 60-40, and also uh, and also um, uh, Ash Seneff and uh, Amanda split it 60-40. So um, it was still a pretty good payday for for both of them. But uh, we do have a wonderful guest on the room. Let me get plays intro music. And I want the rest of you cowboys to know something. There's a new sheriff in town. Hey, good evening, guys. And hold on. <laughs> I love it, man. I love it. Yes, folks, doing, the Bob? one, the only, Bob Bender. Hey, how you doing, Mike? Oh, pretty good. I'm like, I don't know. It's Rob. Maybe you go through this as well. But I know we're three weeks away. But any time it gets close to one of my races. I'm 30, I'll be 38, I'll turn 38 while we're in Hagerstown, but I'm still like a 12-year-old on Christmas Eve. I'm just really, you know, I can't sleep, I can't sit still, I can't do anything. So uh, definitely looking forward to, a, in a couple of weeks, going down to Hagerstown. Yeah, well, ho- hopefully we'll have a vehicle to take the wagon all tour apart and uh, going to drop the motor off tomorrow to Bub's place and get that taken care of, and then uh, move to project number two. Would that be the Camaro? No, 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 no. No, that's, you know, that's not in the guide or anything, so we can't, you know, run that up there. So working on a a deal for Penny, so we'll see what happens. And uh, if that works out, we'll have a ride, and we'll be up there. Good deal. Yeah, I mean, I, I, you know, go back to your question, Mike. I mean, I, I wouldn't say I get butterflies, I guess, with with uh, the races that I, I put on. I get more, you know, I would say more nervous than anything else. I mean, you know, uh, the minute the 10-day forecast comes out for whatever location we're going to, I'm already checking it just to see, you know, what the weather looks like and, and stuff. And, and I, you know, I drive my friends nuts because they're like, don't worry about the weather right now. You know, it's still 10 days out or 11 days out, you know, just, 
you know, let it, you know, if if you start freaking out, you know, like Wednesday of the race, then, you know, you know, if it looks pretty bad, then maybe start worrying, but don't worry like a week and a half ahead. I mean, but you know, if anything or was, it's, it just turns into more, you know, I have no problem sleeping because the fact is that I'm so worn out by the end of a, a race, um, you know, running around doing stuff and, and making sure everybody's, you know, happy and t- and taking care of it was I have no problem when I hit the, when I hit the couch or hit the bed or it was and, and out like a light. So but it, it's fun either way. And, you know, the winter sucks, especially the six months off from, from just not racing at all and not seeing friends. I mean, you know, you'll see people, you know, upcoming either during holiday parties that, that some racers may have, or, uh, you know, some people do get together for the division one banquet in January. And then of course we have our dot 90 banquet, uh, March, uh, 10th this year. So there's a, there's a little bit of time in between there to, to see everybody and, and, you know, see them during the holidays, see them during banquet season. And then, you know, once that's all done, hopefully we can, uh, like I said, you know, you know, get the cars out of the, out of the trailers or out of the garages and, and, uh, you know, just uh, start start racing. So hopefully a, a Division One schedule will be out shortly, probably in the next. I would say we're what October 18th. Usually sometime either like in between Vegas and Pomona usually comes out. So like probably mid uh, probably first couple of weeks of November, um, it does pop up. Uh, so it'll be interesting this year to kind of see if they they changed anything or, or did anything and and um, just. You know, I've heard rumors, you know, from being at the track of some moves for, for 2018, but, you know, as as they are, they're, they're rumors, so you can't, you know, you can't justify it to, you know, say, hey, this is where this race is going to be and, and stuff because, you know, if you say that's what it is and then somehow it gets, you know, to certain people or higher above or it was and you know, they find out, you know, oh, you're saying this or it was and, you know, you kind of get a little slap on the hand, a little talking to, so. Hopefully in about three weeks or so, we'll uh, we'll have uh, a Division One schedule out and National Open schedule out, and then the rest of the divisions, so we can kind of plan around it, and then I can start working on my schedule for 2018. But uh, you know, it should be interesting, interesting uh, 2018. I must say that much. That sounds good, man. Our uh, our guest will be calling in at the appropriate time. I just get done chatting with him. 7:30, right? Absolutely. Okay, and that is Mr. Alan Reinhardt. If you guys are just tuning in now, the voice of the Mellow Yellow series. Um, great guy, uh, Arizona native, uh, coming on out. And uh, we're going to just talk about who Alan Reinhardt really is, kind of get his feeling on what the what his thoughts are on the last two races of the season, and uh, kind of take his brain a little bit and uh, see like where he's uh, – you know, how, how he feels traveling as much as he does, you know, 24 weeks on the road. And uh, it can be it can be wearing on some people. I mean, I did traveling for my job probably about 10 years ago when I did uh, openings for Applebee's. And sometimes, you know, you live out of a suitcase. I mean, you, you're, you're, you're in an airport and you fly to your destination and you're there for two weeks. And, you know, before you know it, you're getting a phone call saying, hey, we need you to go to this location for two or three weeks and you don't see your house or apartment for five weeks and then you know you're, you're trying to remember you know if your animals know who you even are so it's so it's a 
So it's, it's going to be interesting talking to Alan and, and just getting his perspective on on the whole, I guess you would say, the NHRA, uh, you know, tour and the NHRA life. Well, hopefully yeah, I, he can... I, oh, go ahead, Bob. Hopefully he can uh, give us a... Uh, a big insight on it and uh, let us know what it's like to be basically alone for uh, a lot of time. He's either in the air, in the airport. And I know this, he always got a sense of humor and he always got a kind word and that helps make who he is up in the booth. And, and, you know, like I was like, Bob and I were talking a little bit earlier when he, you know, was you know prepping me to when Alan was actually going to come on, you know, I was telling him a little bit about the story about, if anybody listens to all access, anybody who has that all access or even listens to the audio portion of the uh, events. And, and there's been a couple of races this year where they haven't finished up the pros you know, or they finished up the pros early, but they still had sports and racing to, to finish up. And, you know, it, it kind of went into the nighttime, you know, because maybe it was a three day event and they only had, you know, they finished up the pros like, you know, at four or five o'clock. So they still had, you know, two or three more rounds left to go of sportsman guys. Well, of course, you know, all the fans have kind of left, and there's a, there's a few people up in the stands. But, you know, I know in particular at Norwalk and at Charlotte, him and Brian Loans up in the up in the tower were like a flat-out comedy routine, just how they were busting each other's chops and really just razzing each other on things. And, you know, just you could tell it was a late day for both of them. And, uh you know, maybe the the Red Bull or the Donuts or it was were were starting to get to them. So, um, but uh, you know, it definitely makes it fun and definitely makes it worth uh, listening to them. Yeah, indeed. And when I the busiest year I ever had racing was 18 weekends between March and Hagerstown in November. You no, know, it was a lot. Some were local races. Some involved traveling, but I can't imagine being, you know, airport, you know, all the time and everything spent away doing what Alan and, you know, Brian Loans and other people in similar circles have to do. That's um, probably has to wear on you after a bit, but I suppose in a way, you know, and you being a racing president is like I am that, you know, yeah, it's frustrating for you and I, but we wouldn't do it if we didn't love it. And I imagine the same things probably for true for Brian and Alan and all the announcers in either of the HRAs. Oh yeah, definitely. I mean, you know, and you know, like I said, we're going to get a little bit about Alan and his background and how he got started and. And some interesting facts I did read about him that he used to actually for about five years or so actually worked in a pro stock uh, machine shop uh, for about five years or so. And, and he was a bracket racer back in the day. So uh, some interesting things maybe he can go into, um, you know, things like that and, and see like what he does, you know, when he's not announcing. I mean, I know Brian Loans is all over the place. I mean, you know, he is a, you know, he doesn't run, he doesn't do all 24 races on the NHRA tour uh, like, um, like Alan does, but he does, you know, I, I don't know how many actually Brian actually does. I know he does a lot of the East coast stuff. Um, he doesn't really go out West too much, but you know, he does have that, uh, that show on velocity, um, the put up or shut up, 
uh, race, uh, the, the show. He was on Bang Shift for a, a really long time. Um, so he's always got different avenues going on. So it'll be interesting to see what Allen does when Allen's not announcing at any Troy race. If he's, you know, itching to, to get back in that plane to get to the next event, or, you know, is it, or is it like, you know, thank God I have two weeks off or three weeks off now, you know, from, from the tour. Well, we'll find out here very shortly. And like I say, the, the limited, you know, meetings that we've had, he, he he just seems like a great guy, always got a smile, always got a kind word. And in this world, you can't ask for no more than that. Yep, yeah. So before he comes on, we'll just talk about a little bit of uh, some, I wouldn't say breaking news, but uh, some news that did uh, kind of hit the Internet. Um, we got about 10 minutes before Alan does come on or so. Uh, everybody kind of saw or, or looked at it that Sean Langdon will be taking his uh, Global Technologies uh, sponsorship to Funny Car next year, um, kind of following in J.R. Todd's uh, footsteps and going Funny Car racing next year, probably filling the void that uh, will be left by um, Alexis DeJoria uh, since she's officially retiring at the end of this year. Uh, so she's going to retire, and the Global Technologies uh, folks uh, went ahead and partnered up with Sean again for next year and decided they want to go Funny Car racing. So that's one big news if you haven't heard. And then I guess you would say that the biggest news on the Internet today, at least on Facebook, was um, Yellow Bullet Nationals next year in 2018 will not have the sportsman cars. So the 10.0 Index, 1150 Index, uh, I think it's Pro Dial, Super Street, Pro Street, all that stuff has been axed from the Yellow Bullet Nationals for 2018. Uh, you know, uh, a lot of un- upset folks, a lot of upset sportsman racers, uh, mainly because – uh, for the most part, you know, they they kind of made up, I think, half of the field that was that was going to be at Yellow Bullet. Um, you know, but I, I think, you know, really when when the race was originally, you know, put together by Jim Hawsley and uh, uh, the guy from Yellow Bullet, you know, I don't think they expected it to get to 600, 700 cars like it did. And it's grown so big now that they kind of almost have to limit it, number one, on space, number two, on time that they have and you know like they like they said this year you know if they if they get a a rain out or or they where they lose rain or you know it rains or was and they have to scrape the track like they did i mean you know trying to get 600 cars done within you know seven eight hours is just pretty much virtually impossible so um you know you got some some very upset uh guys that uh you know hopefully, hopefully maybe monday night or or next wednesday or so or uh, maybe down the road we can get our good friend of the show, uh, Dana Lafredo, onto uh, Wheels Up Radio and, and talk a little bit since she does run 10.0 Index. So I talked to her a little bit last night, and she said that uh, she was pretty much crying in her in her seat because, uh, you know, she had won the race two times and was going for three this year. And um, just, uh, not you know, she didn't, unfortunately, not get the, the third, and she won't win it next year unless she moves up to 850. So, but... uh It'll be interesting to see what kind of turnout they get next year since they're just going to have pretty much a pro show with the uh, the 10.5 Outlaw cars, uh, Pro Mod, Top Sportsman, uh, Warriors Outlaw, uh, something like Small Block No Clock or something. It's, it was <laughs> felt like it was a nursery Excuse rhyme me? when I read that. It's called Small Block No Clock. Well, don't say that three times fast. 
I know, I know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that that was a tongue twister there when I read that was what they were adding. Because they're adding the Warriors, which is uh, run by a good friend of mine, uh, uh, Larry. And uh, he's, a, he's a crew member on uh, Craig Porter's Super Gas car. And uh, also the, the small block no clock uh, deal that they're adding also on there. So uh, it, it'll be interesting to see what happens. Interesting to see if anything comes about it and falls, you know, somebody decides they're going to put a race together, you know, for the sportsman guys. But, you know, until until everything falls out, you know. Well, there's there's a whole lot of unhappy racers this month. Yeah, yeah, definitely between the IHRA folding with the sportsman guys. You know, anybody listening to last week's uh, show, IHRA decided to go to a bracket-only uh, sanctioning body pretty much and uh, get rid of top drags for top sportsmen, the stock super stock guys, all the dot ninety cars, um, and so forth and so on. So you got a lot of guys that are trying to decide what they're going to do. If they're going to go bracket racing, they want to see, I guess, what IHRA is going to put out as far as, as you know, a program to see what kind of pain, it, pain it's going to be because, you know, to be honest with you, there is a lot of uh, areas now for big money bracket racing and, you know, trying to fit themselves, squeeze themselves into everything else that's going on between, you know, Pete Biondo and, and Kyle Siples, uh, Spring Flings uh, events, which are three of those. You have um, the SFG Corporation. They have four events, Kyle uh, Reef. And then you have uh, West Washington, who used to be partners with Kyle, formed his own deal with Danny Walter Jr., uh, the No Limits uh, Productions. Now they have four events. Then, of course, you got the just the little stuff at ACO and New Media and Capital and Rumors have it Maple Grove might have a couple big money races next year, and and uh, you know it's like Danny Waters Jr. said last year or last weekend, it's going to be the survival of the fitness. See who who's going to be able to survive big morning races and and have all the racers be happy. So, well, the biggest problem with the IHRA deal, they never got the support and. Uh, a lot of the sportsman classes like NHRA did. And I, I don't know why, you know, the sportsman guys didn't support, you know, their own sanctioning body and they live so close and just never understood that. Well, well I've I mean, talked I about before. Oh, I said, I, I have a lot of friends in stock and super stock that run IHRA only cars like Crate Motors, Pure Stocks, uh, Stock GT, and et cetera. And I've always said, even way before this happened, I would never, if I was still racing, would never build or buy an IHRA-only car because your options are limited. Um, You can only run IHRA. I know some of the local stock super stock associations like mine, not me or mine, but some series, it's only NHRA cars. I've seen flyers for bigger money, better races over the years, even going back to 98 in Edgewater, no pure stocks were allowed and stuff. So 
always said, I never want to build or buy something like that because your options are limited. You're kind of painted into a corner. You know, like around me, I have a lot of a couple IHRA races, but the two closest NHRA races, which are Norwalk and Columbus, couldn't go to. You couldn't run any of the stock super stock combos in Kentucky and different things. So even before this whole deal happened, I could never, I never would have built or bought a crate motor or a pure stock or a stock GT or anything because your options can be limited depending on where you live. Well, I think IHRA got out of hand with the crate motor deal because I've seen a, a, a 350 cubic inch Vega with a crate motor. And it's like, are you kidding me? I mean, to me, that was just out of control. Yeah, I know they made one rule about smaller cars like Vegas, Pintos, etc. restricted to small blocks only. But I know people kind of said like you did, Bob, about how the hell do you put a 350 in a Vega when it only came with a four-cylinder? It might have come with a six-cylinder some years, but it just, you know, a lot of people thought crate motors, period. They called it, they said it was like bastardized version of stock eliminator and stuff. And people like you more, more so than me, but kind of old school that, you know, remembers how it was. And even though I wasn't there, I read enough and heard enough about the way it used to be and stuff. And a lot of people were just kind of turned off. And I think for some of that, those reasons, a lot of people didn't race IHRA because they didn't want to race against, in their words, effing crate motor bracket cars. So you have something like that. It keeps the NHRA cars away. And some NHRA racers, you probably know some like this that are, they are truly an NHRA or nothing deal for them. So, you know, they weren't going to go to an IHRA race if it was at the track across the street from them. But, you know, things have been going, we've all seen it going downhill the last few years. I've said before, I think I said last week, you know, when Bill Bader left, that's when it really started going downhill and it got to the point that they dropped everything due to car counts and everything that, you know, stock and super stock, okay, that makes sense. Dot 90 or top dragster doesn't really make sense because for different reasons. But, you know, how do you have a series that pays out whatever the payouts were and you're getting in some of like some of the IHRA races in Texas and Oklahoma, you know, seven or eight stalkers show up, maybe not even that many super stocks show up, probably not a whole lot more dot 90 or top sportsman, top dragster. And I guess in a way it makes sense. You know, how do you keep shelling up that money when nobody shows up? Well, if we can uh, break in real quick, guys, we're going to go to a quick commercial here. We have uh, Alan Reinhardt on hold right now. So I'm going to go to a uh, break. And then once we're done with Alan, then, uh, and we can go ahead and continue the conversation about the uh, IHRA stuff. So give us a couple seconds, and we'll be right back with Alan Reinhardt. All 
Watch if the commercial actually wants to play here. <laughs> All right. Well, it looks like we're having technical difficulties, so we'll go ahead and just uh, we'll, we'll bring Alan on in now. So. Hit the right button. Yeah, I am. It's it's loading, and uh, Chris never told me what to do. It just sits here and it loads. Everybody still there? Uh oh. I'm still I'm here. here. Call in on the same number we do. Yes. Okay. Technical difficulty here, of course. Probably my wonderful computer system here at home. <laughs> well, at least that works better than your telephone does. Yeah, yeah. We have I'm the voice of Brian the NHRA Loons. and can't hear him. I know. I know. I think Brian Loons is fooling with our with our thing. He's probably screwing with things that so Alan can't. Yeah. He wanted, he wanted to put, uh, when I told Alan he could drive my car, he said, don't fix the brakes and put him in there. I thought that was a little rough. I mean, I am completely locked up right now. Oh, my. Can you tell him to call back in? Hang up and call back? That'll I can't help. even get him on the line right now. I can Uh-oh. It, it's just circling. It's doing absolutely nothing right now. Oh, my. That's not good. Well, Chris and I talked, you know, different things happened over the years. Now, four years doing this and... Live radio, you know, nothing like it. And sometimes, unfortunately, stuff like this happens. Well, that that's why I do what I do, and I don't get into the technical aspect there. I'm not too mechanical. So I, I would have shot that com- thing. When it I'd comes to the wagon, thing. when it comes to the right, wagon, well, at I'd... least you have Mr. Whitaker... Yeah, I'm going to see him tomorrow morning. Yeah, I had the chance to meet him a couple of times. He came to Hagerstown to watch on Sunday and got the chance to talk to him a little bit. And, you know, I'm always, you know, busy doing what I'm doing and don't ever get the chance to really sit and talk with him for, I'm sure he's got a incredible amount of knowledge of everything to do stuff. And unlike some engine builders, um, I remember he had, a record with Mark Dickerson's car, with Vic Gomino's car, and Brian Van Poppel. So he builds a fast Ford, Chevy, and Mopar. He's not real brand specific in that regard. No, he, his 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 real niches: small block Chevys, the three hundred fives, and the three fifties. 
he uh, he he definitely knows what to do. Yeah, well, it's like Warren Johnson or Bob Gooden or both said one time that engine. If you know what to do with an engine, that engine doesn't know what it says on the valve cover. It's you can, anybody can make something fast, regardless. And I think uh, Ray and David Barton have shown that they've been Hemi guys for so many years, but they got that Copo flying. Well, I, I don't I, know if I'm going to lose I you guys or not, but I'm trying to restart my computer. Okay. So I, will we I hear a right now? Wow. Is that the one you bought at the thrift store? Yeah, it's the one I bought it from the homeless guy on the uh, corner. Oh, probably. He said it worked. Yeah, he gave me a warranty on it. Obviously, I guess the warranty, well, the, you know. Get a the throttle stop off. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, this is this is flat out just ain't a stop. <laughs> I feel bad for I feel bad for Alan just having to sit there on hold. He's probably cracking up. I'm sure all the years that he's done uh live stuff or was stuff is probably <laughs> screwed up on him. I'm sure he can probably tell us some stories. Let me uh let me send him a message. Hey, Rob, aren't you glad you don't have to do yeah. this every week? Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> I, I, I'd, I'd go nuts where it was if uh, this, if I had to do this every week. But Well, all the times you've been on, I think that's the first time something like this has ever happened, hasn't it? Yeah, knock on wood. <laughs> I got a wood dust in front of me, so I'll knock on that. Yeah, I knock on my head. Technology sometimes. We've we've Pick become up. so. We've it's become such a crux for he, everybody. He knows, that was that. Yeah. He said he heard us. He said he heard us talking. He said he hung up and yeah. he called back. Okay. Well, my 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 computer's not even. It's now just got up and running. I'm going to try to restart or restart this internet thing here and try to get that going. I don't understand what's going on here, but. Well, you know, I've been meaning to take this. I've been meaning to take this to Best Buy to uh, get it uh, debugged and stuff. Well, maybe maybe it's him because I had all these issues at Maple Grove with the car. And now he calls in and all these problems with the computer. Could be. Uh, well, if we ever get him on here, I'll have to talk to him about that. Well, let's see if we can. <laughs> he said we can text back and forth and, and, and do this, but it won't be spontaneous. <laughs> I deem my mother <clears throat> my mother's phone. It's voice activated to send a text. My, I still got an old fashioned phone. You know, I use my phone until it goes bad. Then I get a new one. I know some people they upgrade every 
six to 12 months just to get the newest, latest, greatest thing, but I use mine until it goes bad. I I wish I still had my flip. Yeah, my first phone was like that. Then it went, the whole screen went black with a yellow line through it, and it wouldn't turn on, so I went and got a new one. You know, in 11 years, no. Yeah, 11 years, I'm on my third phone. So I know some people, they go through two, three phones a year or every other year. So people are kind of amazed. All right, well, I got it restarted, so let's see if we can actually get Alan on here or not. So let's, let's, rub, uh, let's rub some sticks together. Hopefully, we can make some fire. So there we go. All right, guys, I believe he's on the line, the voice of the NHRA, Melody L Series. I can't make this stuff, out, uh, stuff up, Alan. Uh, Mr. Alan Reinhardt is with us on Wheels Up Radio tonight. You have no idea how much I wanted to – if I could speak Chinese, I was going to come on speaking Chinese. <laughs> oh man i'm telling you see what happens when you know the the, the main host uh goes away on vacation to the islands and then you know they let three knuckleheads uh try to run run the uh run the program everything just you know goes to hell in a handbasket as they like to say i'm familiar with that i work with knuckleheads pretty much on a daily basis hey on a serious note thank you guys for having me it's a pleasure to be on your show and you know what computer glitches everybody deals with those don't worry about it yep well thank you well, Alan, for coming it's on embarrassing. thank you to bob for uh thank you to bob for getting you to come on um so uh a big thank you to both of you guys for uh bob setting up the interview and for alan to come on and I, I know you got a busy busy schedule um so but uh I, you know, well, let's talk about some of that, like what we just went through, the, the computer glitches. I, I guess what would be one of your stories, you know, being in the broadcasting, you know, business or it was that you are in the announcing business? What, what's one of those stories that sticks out from you that, like, you know, you just look back and go, I can't believe that happened? Actually, one that I had was Winter Circle in Bristol, Tennessee. Uh, well, it's probably been seven or eight years ago now. Uh, we we being NHRA had been kicking around, you know, upgrading our, our sound system for the winter circle. And they were just kept putting band-aids on it and patching it and, and getting by and getting by. And we were in Bristol and it was cutting out and it was cracking out and it was just, it was awful. And I got about halfway through the interview with the second pro champion and the thing quit completely. So my top fuel interview was literally me and, I want to say it was Morgan Lucas, but that might not be right. Standing on the stage, just basically screaming at the crowd, tell me about your day. Well, we had a great, my crew chief did a great job. And that's the way we did the interview. And when I walked <laughs> off the stage, I walked up to the, the vice president, NHRA's vice president in charge of marketing, who was standing there staring at this, like not quite smoldering, but almost soundboard. And I walked up to him and he said, I know, I know, I know. And I said, no, I said, I'm not the least bit upset. I said, I just want you to remember this. If I had embarrassed you that badly, you would fire me. And he said, I'll never do that to you again. And that fixed the problem. And we haven't had an issue like that ever since. So, you know, we, we've all dealt with stuff like that through, through the course of it. And in the grand scheme of things, if that's the biggest problem we all have this month, it's going to be the best month we ever had. Hey, Alan. True. Hey, yes, Alan, sir. I kind of thought, the, the computer problem might have been you because my car broke eight times around you, and then you came on, and the computer <laughs> broke. 
Ah, okay. So I'm I'm the jinx, huh? All right, all right. What well, kind of reminds well, me? Did you, ever, told- did you ever hear the old story? Did you ever hear the old story about the guy who comes home one day and tells his wife, he says, you know what? I'm divorcing you. And she says, how could you divorce me after all we've been through? So, you know, when, when you got cancer, who was there for you? Who nursed, nursed you back to health? When you were in your accident, who nursed you back to health? When your business went broke, who, who like, was there for you the whole time and, and got us back into, like, financial stability? And he said, yeah, exactly. It took me 15 years, but I finally figured out you're a jinx. I'm out of here. <laughs> Uh, that's a good one. Well, buddy, oh, your buddy man. up in told me uh, when I told him I'd let you drive my car one weekend. He told me that'd be great to let you drive it, but don't fix the brakes. <laughs> yeah. Now you I mean, know what? I, I, must I, say, I, I might need them at the finish line. I, I, you know, I might need to cut somebody loose at the finish line. Brakes are important. Yeah, I know. Trust me. That's why the motor's out now. I think I beat every valve on the piston. Ooh. So what's going on this week, guys? Not much. We're uh, we're we're chatting with you, Alan, and uh, just going over a couple of uh, things. You know, re, uh, you know, we have a week on rack wrap up show on Monday night, so we talk. They talked a little bit about Dallas and uh, stuff like that. So. So I guess, what's your take from Dallas? I mean, you know, uh, you know, coming off the the tour, I mean, you had Steve Torrance with the god awful, you know, crash that he had, and and the the crew thrashed like you know madmen, or it was, and got the back the backup car back out, you know, out or it was, and you know, of course, all the points uh, are really shaping up for to be a, a thrilling Vegas and Pomona. So, I guess, like, what's your take on everything? Well, um, starting with the Torrance thing, I am very grateful that over the past, I mean, literally 10 years and even more so in the last five years, the way that, that all of the safety improvements have been implemented, the fact implemented, the fact that you, you can't sit in a top fuel car right now unless you have a poured fitted seat. Uh, all the extra padding that they've put in there. Um, not just around the driver's head area and the driver's shoulder area, but also down in the foot box so that when something like that happens, I couldn't believe how quickly Steve got out of the car and the fact that he literally is like walking away, hands in the air. I'm good. I'm fine. Where's my backup car? Let's go. I want to race. You know, five years ago, I'm not sure that would have happened. Ten years ago, I'm sure it wouldn't have happened. And not saying that somebody would have been severely injured, but it would have been a much, much bigger impact because nobody realized that the driver needs to be that snug in the car. You know, it used to be you just build a car and sit in, sit in the thing and you're fine. But the realization that when the car hits the wall, how much the driver is moving inside the car has, has a big impact. Uh, I'm sorry if that's a pun. It doesn't, it's not intended. But how much the driver can move inside the cockpit is a huge factor in whether or not he's injured and how bad he's injured. And the fact that they've got the driver so snugly in the car now, I just think that's, uh, I think that's pretty amazing. I also thought it was just a fascinating little tidbit that literally the guy in the other lane built the car. That car was built by Morgan Lucas mm-hmm. racing. Richie Crampton works in the fab shop at Morgan Lucas racing. I mean, literally, you know, Ben's pipe welds pipe does this stuff. And the fact that the guy in the other lane was the guy that built that car, I thought that was a pretty fascinating little uh, tidbit. Yeah, it was. It definitely was. 
So, so I guess, so I guess, I mean, since this is your first, uh, you know, uh, call into Wheels Up Radio, and so um, tell us a little bit about who Alan Reinhardt really is. I mean, I, I looked a little bit on your bio. Um, you know, you used to be a bracket racer. I know you're from Arizona, and uh, you know, so tell us everybody, the listeners, and and even Bob and Mike. You know, who 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 Alan Reinhardt really is. Alan Reinhardt is a heavy equipment mechanic from Southern Arizona. I literally grew up in the construction business, mostly on the equipment side. I spent a lot of time working at a, a local rental yard here, um, servicing equipment, take care and stuff. I spent a number of years running the fleet shop for Sun Mechanical Contracting, which is the biggest subcontractor in Southern Arizona. We do plumbing, HVAC, um, fire protection, that kind of stuff. We, I haven't been, I haven't worked for them for 20 years, but I am a heavy equipment mechanic who bracket raced on the weekends and who started announcing racing almost on a lark at a little, literally a little piece of asphalt in the desert known as Tucson Dragway, not the new Tucson Dragway that's functioning right now. This racetrack closed in 1984, but I, I was just a weekend warrior announcer, like, you know, hundreds of people are around the country Um, when my racetrack in tucson closed it was about the same time that firebird raceway in phoenix opened i was up at firebird one night and their regular announcer didn't show up for whatever reason and somebody said something to somebody said something to somebody and hey the guy that announces in tucson's here yeah we'll send him up we need an announcer saturday night bracket race um at the end of the evening the guy who ran the racetrack up there came up and said hey I need somebody that I can count on, and if you're willing to drive, I'm willing to I'm willing to hire you. And I started working at Firebird Raceway, met some people, made some contacts, and just continued climbing up the ladder. But I am right now literally sitting in my shop. I have a fabrication machine shop in Tucson. Um, basically, most of the stuff I work on is stuff that's mine and stuff, you know, friends and, and family and that kind of stuff. But, uh, you know, I do welding, fabrication, um, just kind of goof off in, in car stuff, but I'm I'm a heavy equipment mechanic who got started announcing drag racing and somehow ended up at pretty much the pinnacle of stadium drag race announcers, and I still don't know how. <laughs> now, now, did I hear something, too, that you worked in a pro stock uh, shop, too, I think? Yeah, I spent uh, five somewhere? years working with David Nickens. When, uh, when David Nickens was running the factory Dodge pro stock team, uh, at that time, which was about 2000, 99... 98, 99, 2000, somewhere in there. Um, David was going to take over the factory pro stock team. Daryl Alderman and uh, and Scott Jeffreyon were our drivers initially. And at the time that was happening, I was transitioning into announcing being my full-time occupation as opposed to working in literally working in the construction company, working in the, in the shop, and then flying out on the weekends to do the announcing and trying to fly back in. If I could get out Sunday night so I could be at work Monday, I did. But I was making the transition into being full-time announcer and no longer heavy equipment mechanic. David Nickens and I have been friends for years, and I was kind of teasing him the last couple of races of the season. I said, man, he's always been a GM guy. I said, you don't even know the firing order on a Dodge. I said, if I don't come down and help you guys, you guys, you'll probably miss every race till Gainesville just trying to figure out how to make one of these things run. And, you know, we kind of laughed it off back and forth. And at the time, the World Finals ended Halloween weekend, and it was 10th or 12th of November. David called me, 
And he said, man, are you coming down here or what? And I said, I can come down if you want me to. And he said, man, I got so much stuff to do. I don't even know what to put on the top of the list. He said, I could use your help if you want to come down. And I said, give me two days and I'll be there. It's, uh, you know, whatever, 1,000 miles, 1,200 miles from, from Tucson to Houston. And so I figured I'm going to drive down. Didn't want to fly because I don't know how long I'm going to be there. I don't know what I'm going to be doing. I want to have my own car. And if I'm just going to be, like, standing around waiting for lunch or, you know, hey, hand me a wrench, um, then that's just not me. i got to do something. But if there's something I can do, I figured, you know what, I might stay three or four weeks, five weeks. Who knows? So I went down there middle of November, and I didn't come home until April. And we worked every single day, every Saturday, every Sunday, Christmas Day, New Year's Day, Thanksgiving. We left the shop at 4 o'clock, went home, had dinner, went back to the shop and worked some more. And I did that for five years. And it was, it was an education that you couldn't buy anywhere at any price. It was fascinating what the guys in the pro stock world would go through looking for two or three or one horsepower. And it was just for a guy who I'm a really good nut and bolt. And, you know, a guy who occasionally would have to do a backstroke through 30 gallons of hydraulic fluid because that excavator's not moving until somebody fixes the line that blew up underneath it. Working in the pro stock shop was like going to Disneyland. Everything's clean. Everything's nice. And uh, like I said, it was an education I couldn't buy. But because of that, to this day, I'm not allowed in Ken Black's shop in North Carolina because they think I know too much. They're afraid I'll come in and see something or notice something or realize something in one of their secrets. They'll sneak out of the shop. And I literally am not allowed past the reception desk at KB Racing in Carolina. Wow. <laughs> now, that's, a, that's an interesting interesting story, Alan. I mean, that, that that's awesome. I mean, yeah. So uh, another question I guess we had for you, and we were talking before uh, you came on and, and – uh, it, it's life on the road. Um, you know, you spend 24 weeks on the road, uh, you know, hopping from city to city to city. And, you know, I, like I was talking before is, you know, I used to do a corporate openings for, uh, um, Applebee's for probably uh, about two years or so and, and travel around, you know, you pretty much lived out of an airport. Um, but to you, I mean, what attracted you to be like, you know what, Hey, I want to, I want to basically almost live in an airport, you know, week to week or, you know, uh, you know, not really see my house too much well um in the first place 24 events is just the national event stuff um i also do some regional events here and there i do i'm an independent contractor so if i have a weekend off and somebody wants to hire me um you know it's kind of a running joke i'm available for you know walmart openings or bar mitzvahs or whatever if you can uh, if you want to pay my travel and have me be there i'm sitting here looking at my calendar right now I think it's got 35 weekends penciled in for this year, but I'm single. I don't have kids. And when I started doing this, it was kind of like the wild adventure. And it has turned into a pretty nice vocation. And for me, it is still a wild adventure. Um, You know, I have my shop at home, but I have three cars in my shop right now. All three of them belong to me. So, if somebody calls me and says, you know, hey, man, I got this job. I really like you to do it. I go, yeah, okay, sure, great. How's uh, how's four months from Tuesday? Because that's how long it's going to be before I can get it done. If that's acceptable to you, that's fine. If you need it faster than that, then okay, I'm not your guy. But uh, I've kind of built this built this life for myself, and I absolutely love it. I spend 
by far more nights in hotels than I spend in my house. But I I just love the adventure. And there's plenty of days when I do not want to get on another airplane. And there's plenty of days when I'm sick and tired of staying in hotels. But the first time my alarm goes off in the morning and I don't want to go to the racetrack, then I'll know it's time to quit. And that has not ever changed. I love going to the races. I like stock eliminator as much as I like top fuel eliminator. I'm a car guy. And I just absolutely love going to the races. And, you know, the fact that they pay me, um, in in my mind is, you know, I, I hope nobody from NHRA corporate is listening. Um, you know, I don't want to say I would do it for free, but I, I, I would do some of this stuff for free. And I tell everybody that NHRA buys me plane tickets, puts me in hotels, rents me cars, and pays me to go watch a drag race. And the requirement of my job is while I'm watching, I have to talk about it. If they didn't hire me to do this job, at least three or four times a year, local races, you know, places that I could get to, I would travel myself, pay for my own hotel, buy my own ticket, go sit in the grandstands, watch the drag race, and the guy sitting in front of me would turn around at least three times an hour and go, will you just shut up? Because it's just, I just absolutely love what I do. And, you know, I've been out here long enough, my most prized possession is my Rolodex and the fact that pretty much anybody you can name that's out there on a regular basis in NHRA, I have direct contact if I need. If I need to call somebody and go, what was that? Tell me about this. I can walk into anybody's trailer. I need to know what happened so that I can tell that story when you come up for the next round. And I treasure those relationships. And that's, that's really what keeps me going. Wow, that's that's you know, <laughs> it's definitely above and beyond uh, this interview so far. I mean, I'm I'm enjoying everything you're saying so far, Alan. So, um, so let's let's talk a little bit about the the you know, I, I mean, I'm pretty young. I'm 38 years old. Um, you know, grew up on the days of uh, you know Steve Evans and Dave McClellan and and all them guys. You know, with American Sports Cavalcade and and this thing and and you know, um, Bob Fry literally lives probably three towns over from me and, and uh, actually one of my good friends, Kelly sees him in church ever so often goes, who he says the sermon. Um, but, you know, as, as things go longer was and, and things progress was, there's always that chemistry. And it always seems that you and Brian loans have that chemistry together because, you know, you got, you know, the seriousness, but you also have a comedy, you know, routine with each other. And I guess I kind of take you back to, you know, watching all access and, you know, what I said was, like, once the pros were all done, I think at Norwalk and Charlotte, you know, they kind of let you and Brian and, and Joe Costella kind of let have free reigns on the mic. And you guys were just flat out awesome. And it just really, you know, keep you know, kept us, in, in, you know, intrigued and, you know, watching stock and super stock and the dot .90 cars and top sports and top dragster and, and stuff like that. So I guess, you know, talk a little bit about your chemistry with, like, your other other guys. Well, I'll start by going back. Um, when I first started doing this, I was the guy who went to his local track, which for me was Firebird, now Wild Horse Pass. And, you know, hey, I'm the staff announcer. I want to come out. I want to volunteer. You know, I'd like to have a chance to audition. I want you to hear me. I want you to see what I can do. At the time, was it was really the beginning of us doing top-end driver interviews for the PA. It hadn't been done a whole lot before that. 
and I'm at the top end of the racetrack with Steve Evans, who's there doing television. Of course, I know who Steve Evans is. It's like, oh, my God, that's Steve Evans. And, you know, he's looking at me like, okay, well, this is just another, you know, local track announcer guy that I know 100 of these guys. And over the course of the weekend, which we had plenty of downtime and plenty of cleanup, and it just wasn't the smoothest weekend in the history of the world, he told me at one point, he asked me, he said, how long have you been doing this? And I said, well, you know, I've been announcing for seven or eight years. I said, it's only the second national event. This is my home track, so they kind of let me come in and help out, you know, at this event. And he said, you ask really good questions. And I handed him a business card, and I said, tell that to everybody you know. And a couple of months after that, I got a phone call from him that said there was some opportunities coming up uh, with Diamond P Sports, who, of course, was the American Sports Cavalcade at the time. They did all the drag racing stuff. And he said, there's some opportunities coming up down the road. I mentioned your name. Would you have any interest in doing a videotape audition for us? And, of course, I had to mull that over for a while before I went, hell yes, what time? And, and I think it's funny because of the world I live in now. And he said, oh, yeah, great. He said, can you be in English Town Friday? And I literally went, um, that, that, that's in New Jersey, right? I mean, that's, you know, I, I had traveled very, very little. And I said, you know, a little more notice, it should be great, because I have a job in the real world. And he went, oh, yeah, of course. Um, uh, how about Columbus next week? And I went. Is, is that in Ohio? And I just think that some of that stuff is funny because now it is a relatively regular occurrence for somebody to call me on Tuesday and say, you need to be in Atlanta tomorrow at noon. Okay. And I don't even think about it. I just go. But um, I started working with Diamond P Sports, working with Bob Fry. And at the same thing, at that point, Bob Fry was doing announcing for the NHRA. I was like the newest of the new guys. You know, Bob was the probably the number three guy then behind McClellan and Evans. and uh, But, you know, he and I were going to be partners. And so I flew to Denver to do an audition, met Bob. We had met before, but, you know, it was basically like, you know, hey, Bob, I'm Alan. I'm the local track guy. And he was like, okay, yeah, great. Here, do super gas and get out of the way. And, uh, and we sat down and, and talked. And for whatever reason, we just clicked. And we couldn't be any more different. I mean, you know, Bob, he's been married for 47 years. He's got three wonderful daughters. He's got six grandkids. He's, you know, his next beer will be his first beer. Um, And he is the least mechanical guy in the history of the world. He is the best in in the world with stats. But I'm telling you, he couldn't tell you a carburetor from a lug nut if you put them both on the table. And he would tell you the same thing. I'm a really, really, really mechanical guy. And I was not really a stat guy other than, you know, hey, I remember, I think, what happened last week. But he and I just clicked, and we had a tremendous relationship for 20 years. So now fast forward to where we are now. Once Bob retired and I kind of ascended to that post, and I really didn't have that rock-solid number two guy that I feel like I was for Bob. And Brian Loans, when we came to uh, Epping, which was his home racetrack, he came out to do basically, you know, the audition. Now, I know he's done a lot of stuff before this, but that was his NHRA audition. And it took about 10 minutes and he and I went, okay, we're going to, we're going to be fine. Um, You know, we got each other's jokes. We played off of each other and I'm very, very grateful to have him. Joe Costello does a tremendous job, but he doesn't have 
quite the knowledge, the technical background, the stuff that Brian does. And Brian and I, um, you know, you just can't manufacture that. You Sometimes you sit down with a guy and you click and you're great. Sometimes you sit down with a guy and, and you don't. And it doesn't mean that anybody's doing anything wrong. It's just, you know, sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. And I'm very, very grateful to have Brian Lonzer. He has been a tremendous asset. He, he doesn't listen to your show, right? He's, well, he's he, been a tremendous uh, asset to the NHRA announcing staff, and I'm very grateful to have him. And I don't want him to hear this because, oh my God, I'll be, I'll be, you know, he'll, he'll be, he'll be hitting me over the head with this for the next five years. <laughs> well, he knows. Oh, man. Yeah, we actually no, had you, Brian on the show a few weeks ago, or months ago. It was right after Pomona, and I was asking him about, I think it was the Ron Caps-Matt Hagen race where he did or did not cross the center line and stuff. So, yeah, he's been on the show before. Well, I'm, I'm teasing, of course, and I hope Brian would say the same thing about me, and I think that he would. I think, you know, we just automatically clicked right from the get-go, and I hope that Brian is there as long as I'm there. And, you know, he's, what, 10 or 12 years younger than me, so maybe if I decide to give it up, or maybe it's 18 years younger than me, and maybe if I decide to give it up that, you know, he'll be the next guy to ascend to this position. But um very, very gr- glad to have him out there. You know, his knowledge, his sense of humor, uh, his quick wit, that's, you know, I, and I I talked to a lot of announcers over the course of the year. And one of the things that I try to impress on everybody is if you want to be a drag race announcer and you want to be a good drag race announcer, you have to have a really quick processor. Processor speed is important because if you're dealing with races that are seven or eight or nine seconds long, you know, in my world, some of them are only four seconds long. If it takes you five seconds to figure out what you saw and how to say that you're not going to be a good drag race announcer. You have to be able to see, recognize, process, and spit it out in a hurry. And that's something that Brian excels at. Cool. So I guess my last question for you before we turn it over to Bob and Mike uh, to, to unleash on you is, what's your favorite track? I mean, I, of course, you know, probably Chandler is Denver. That, that track. Denver. You, Denver? Okay. Denver. Right. Hands down, huh? <laughs> Oh, yeah, for for a variety of reasons. One, because it's difficult to win there. It, nobody, nobody, you know, with the possible exception, I guess, of Pro Stock Alan Johnson for the last 10 years, but it is very difficult to win at Denver, and that makes it a special place to go. You can't just bring out your, oh, yeah, this is my tune-up that works every week. That doesn't work at Denver. Uh, the second one is the family that runs the place. You know, the Bandamere's are exceptional. They understand customer service. They get customer service. Uh, the third one is, you know, go sit in the grandstands at Bandamere on the pit side and tell me there's a bad seat there. The top eliminator club in Denver might be the best ticket in drag racing. You're sitting literally looking straight down in the headers. Um, everything about the place, you know, and it's just some of the stuff is just like little, little stuff. If you're a racer, in Denver, they have scoreboards on the back of the tower. So if you're back in the staging lanes and you're trying to keep track of qualifying or whatever, all you need to know is, hey, my buddy Fred's in the left lane. 
the scoreboards on the back of the tower. So when the racers are back there, you can read that. You can keep track of what's going on out on the racetrack, even though you can't necessarily see it because you're back in the staging lanes. But just so many little detail things. That's my favorite track. And I've told people for years, if there's one track you've never been to, and you go, okay, this year I'm going to go someplace I've never been, go to Denver. You're not going to see pro stock records. You're not going to see top fuel records. But you're going to see a very entertaining race, and you're going to see a special, special racetrack. Cool, cool. So I'll turn things over to uh, Mr. Bender and uh, let him uh, have the reins. Awesome. So how are you doing tonight besides getting beat up by us? No, I'm doing great. I'm doing great. I'm actually in my shop um, working on – I've got a my new project car, which is a 1968 Dodge Dart. I'm not 100% sure what I'm going to do with it yet. It's still in the uh, – you know, just kind of get it cleaned up and get it straightened out and figure out where we're going. But in the grand scheme of things, um, I'm well. Everything great. Everything's great. It's beautiful. It's a beautiful time of year to be in Arizona. You know, the highs are about 90. Overnight lows are about 70. Um, this is this is a great time to be here. Very cool. Now, one question I have for you. If you were in charge of the racing sanction for one day, what changes would you make or would you leave things alone? I'd give all of the announcers a big raise, especially me. <laughs> wow. Never got that response that before. Sounds, that sounds good. <laughs> you know, I so think no- there's there's a lot we do right. I think that and you know, we I'm I'm you know, I'm I am certainly, I, I'm the voice of NHRA. I'm not the spokesperson for corporate NHRA. But I think there's a lot of stuff that we do right. I think there's a lot of stuff that we get right. You know, is there room for improvement? Yes. But I, I also think that a lot of the most vocal critics, especially in this day and age when everybody's got a computer and, you know, you can go on the Internet and be a hero. You know, if you want to cast stones, that's fine. But if you're going to point out a problem, give me a solution. You know, tell me what you would do better. And I think a lot of people just don't look at or don't understand, you know, all of the stuff that we have to deal with. Is there something we could do that would be better for the racers? Okay, maybe. Okay, let's just say we could do this plan A, and that would be great for the racers. But maybe it wouldn't be as good for the fans. And maybe the sponsors don't want it. And maybe from a track standpoint, this just doesn't fit into what they've got scheduled for the day because they've got other activities and they've got other things going on. And sometimes, you know, a racer will go, well, if they just do this, it'd be better for everybody. And I think a lot of people don't realize that, okay, that might be better for you, but it wouldn't be better for everybody. And when you sit way up at the top of the pyramid, you have to consider everybody. And that's, you know, that's part of the issue. And the world obviously has changed so much with, you know, just everything with, you know, instant communication now. And, you know, you have to grow and you have to evolve and you have to change. And sometimes that change is painful. But, you know, I I don't know, you know, I've, I've, I've made statements over and over that, you know, when I become the czar of drag racing, I'm going to fix all this. Well, let me tell you something. The czar of drag racing has more people tugging at his lapels than you can possibly imagine. And the vast majority of them want a change that's good for them. That's not necessarily good for everybody. 
and that's a very difficult position to be in. Well, I certainly understand that. I, I've been doing this since 1964 when I started with a junior stocker and never progressed past stock eliminator. But I'm still, I guess, an NHRA cheerleader, so to speak. But when I address a problem, I get on the computer and I actually send it to NHRA and voice my opinion. And sometimes I get a response, sometimes I don't. And I, I don't have a problem with corporate in general, except, you know, sometimes just be a little bit more, you know, visible. But outside of that, I, I love it. Like you say, you love going to the track. I still get goosebumps going to national events. I, I, I just still love it. So I, I understand how you feel. You know, and again, that's, you know, that's part of it. One of the things like pro stock has been a hot button topic here in NHRA for the last couple of years. And there are a number of the fans that think and are very vocal about, you know, factory stock. That needs to be the new pro stock. Just scrap pro stock and factory stock. That's new pro stock. If you just do that, everybody would be happy. What they don't realize is that NHRA has met with Chevrolet and Chrysler and Ford and said, what do you think? And that's not what the factories want. So is that still now a genius idea? You know, Alan Johnson, pro stock Alan Johnson, a couple of years ago, kind of pitched uh, an idea that Mopar had about let's take the new factory stock power plants, put them into the pro stock cars that we have now. And so we'll have the modern technology, the new look, but we won't have to throw away the, you know, the platform that we've been so familiar with all this time. And the first thing I thought is, so you have, millions of dollars literally worth of engine inventory worth of equipment in the shop to build these engines all of these years that you've dedicated to doing this and you just want to throw that in the trash and that's going to save everybody money and i I just don't see it and also the factories don't want to do it you know gm announced not that long ago that they are on a road to have everything they build be electric Okay, if we put all of our eggs in the factory showdown pro stock basket, and then five years from now, GM goes, okay, we don't make gas engines anymore. Have we really accomplished anything if we fix the problem? It's, it's a very difficult problem. Uh, there was a meeting between the owners and NHRA this past weekend at Dallas where some ideas were discussed. Um, you know, nothing, nothing came out of that that's like, okay, that's the gospel, that's the savior. But the communication lines are open, and I think that's pretty important. And that's another thing that's changed, you know, not just in NHRA. You look at NASCAR. You go back in NASCAR 20 years ago, do you think that the owners, the drivers that had any input whatsoever? I mean, Big Bill was like an iron fist guy. This is gospel. You will obey me. You can't do that these days. You have to solicit input from everybody and then try to come up with the best decision. So that's, you know, just the whole world has changed, and we're trying to change along with it. Well, thank you, kind sir. My pleasure. All right, Mike. Yeah, I was um, announcer at my local track for a year, and um, just regular bracket racing, and I always tried to kind of take – and apply 
what I used to hear. I'm the same age as Rob. I'll be 38 in a couple weeks, so I haven't been around as long as some of you guys. But to hear, you know, the words like what Steve Evans and Dave McClellan and Bob Fry and you and other people and try to apply it to announcing, and like you said, you know, being able to see, interpret, and, you know, respond very quickly in a race that lasts, eight to 12 seconds or something, it's definitely, you know, people even ask me, you know, how do I, you know, announce bracket racing? And the average fan, you know, they probably don't understand bracket racing, dial-ins, breakouts, and all that. I always explained kind of, you know, it's sort of like the price is right. Closest to the actual retail price without going over. But I say, you know, look down the scoreboard. They're trying to get as close to that number without going quicker and still try to get there first. And then, you know, I didn't get into all the ins and outs of dumping and whomping and all the stuff to give up the stripe and stuff. Could, that wouldn't make sense much to anybody that maybe they're just a novice or a new fan, but it's definitely difficult. And I definitely take my hat off to all you guys that have been doing this for a long time. Well, thank you. And, you know, the two things in that situation, um, and first off, something Steve Evans told me a long time ago, and it's something that I've never forgotten, is if you are the guy standing up there with the microphone, you have to realize that everybody that's down there in a race car is somebody's hero. If it's a guy driving his mom's station wagon dialed in at 1850 on Friday high school night, there's some kid standing on the fence going, I wish I had my mom's car out here so I could race. And you need to be very, very diligent in not belittling everybody and or anybody and giving everybody an opportunity. You know, I have people come up to me all the time. It's like, you know, what, why do you make such a big deal out of, you know, the guy that's driving the gremlin or the guy that's driving the escort or the guy that's driving the wagon or the guy, and it's because A, I think it's freaking cool. And B, because even though that guy's got a 16-second car, there's somebody out there going, man, I wish I had that thing be out there. And that's something that I've never forgotten. The other thing that I think is important when you're doing and bracket racing is, is a perfect example, is situational awareness. If I'm in a bracket race that doesn't have a front gate, okay, everybody that's in the place is either racing or family or friend or crew member or buddy or whatever, then I don't think you need to spend a lot of time explaining every little nuance of the sport because I think everybody gets it. If it's Sunday afternoon at NHRA and we're running stock eliminator, then I think you need to under, you need to explain a lot of that stuff because a number of the people that are sitting in the grandstands bought a ticket to come watch nitro cars run. And they just decided, you know what, I don't need another cheeseburger. I don't need to go to the bathroom. I'll just sit here and see what this stuff's all about. And that's the time that you need to educate. But for the most part, at a Friday night or Saturday night bracket race, you don't have a lot of casual fans. And at that point, you can really just have some fun with it. Um, I mentioned earlier about, you know, Brian and I being on, and Norwalk has become known as a comedy show. We ended up, we were going to be running about four hours late after just some delays during the day, some weather issues, some whatever. 
And I told Brian and Joe, I said, look, guys, I said, you guys go back to the hotel, get a good night's sleep, and be ready to go tomorrow. I'll finish this up. There's no reason for all three of us to stay here. And Brian said, no, dude, what are you kidding me? And picked up a microphone, and we started making fun of each other. But we understood at that point there are no casual fans left. When the last Nitro car went down a racetrack at 4 o'clock, and it's 7.30, there are no casual fans left. Everybody that's sitting in the grandstands is a friend, a family, a hardcore, a somebody that gets what we're doing. And at that point, we can start having some fun. You know, you can go, oh, hey, look at this. Bob Bender goes 006, dead on five. Excuse me, sir, get out of the way. There's people racing here. You're in the fast lane. And people understand what we're saying. And it is entertaining. It is informative. And it makes a long night seem like not just, oh, my God, will you please finish this up so we can go to bed? It's something that, uh, that I think people enjoyed. And, you know, but situational awareness, you have to understand when you pick up the microphone, who's watching, who's listening, what do they need to know, what do they already know, and then you need to adjust your, your style for that. Yeah, I, you know, I, depending, you know, I'd maybe start out, I'd say a little bit for the novice fan, but I'd still, like you said, a lot of the people in the stands at the local track, they were friends, family, crew members of racers there. So I was, you know, I always tried to balance between trying to help, you know, maybe a novice fan and still being educational enough to inform the hardcore fan or racer. And, you know, I try to balance between the two and not be any one too much of the other. That, and that's the tightrope that, that everybody walks because there's, you know, there's going to be somebody out there that just came because, you know, hey, they saw the sign out on the street and thought, hey, there's going to be loud, fast cars, but they don't get what they're doing. And there's going to be people out there that pretty much know everything, and all they need is the details and the minutiae, and they can put the rest of it together. And that's the tightrope walk that every announcer has to deal with of, you know, educating the new fan without just completely boring the hardcore fan um, and and figuring out where the happy medium is. And that's, you know, I, I don't know that there is a perfect formula for any of that. I just, uh, you know, I preach over and over and over again, the situational awareness, understand who you're talking to and what they need to know, and then try to adjust your style or your delivery for those people. And, you know, you're not going to get it perfect all the time. And not everybody is going to understand everything. And that's just kind of the nature of the beast. You know, if you have 500 people there, three of them are newbies. Um, you kind of got to go with, you know, the majority at that point. That's, you know, that's my opinion. And, and that's pretty much what I've done over the years. And I used to race in stock eliminator. I was around with, with Bob and with Rob and stuff. And, I've always been a stock super stock guy for the last 20 something years. And having read his stories in national dragster, I'm sure you probably have a story or two or 10 about Mr. Dan Fletcher. (laughs) Oh yeah. Yeah. I have uh, yeah. One or two or 10 is a, is a good way to put it. No, I, I, yeah, I love Dan. I, I was there when he won his first race in Columbus. I believe I've been there for all of them. 
Um, and the guy is amazing. You know, the, he, he certainly had a little bit of raw talent to start with. And then, you know, he has gotten so much experience over the years and that's, what's got him where he is right now. Um, you know, no matter what game you play, a guy that does it three times a year is not going to be as polished as a guy who does it three times a week. And when Dan quit his job at Xerox to go out on the road and, and, and try to make it all happen. Uh, but yeah, I've got a, uh, I've, I've, I've got a couple of Dan's, Dan Fletcher shops, Dan Fletcher stories. One, when he brought his motorhome to my shop, uh, because the tongue of the trailer was busted and he needed somebody to weld it up and, you know, to call it midnight. And I'm, I'm going to be rolling through there at 5 a.m. Are you around? It's like, sure, Dan, whatever you need. Um, and, you know, you talk about sock and super sock. I'm sitting here in my shop right now looking at a 67 GT Mustang that I bought when I was in high school. I didn't buy it new. I'm not that old. But it's the longest relationship I've had with anything. It's a small block, four-speed, real, honest-to-God 67 Mustang. And that's part of why I love stock and super stock, because I love the muscle cars. Absolutely love the muscle cars. And I have one. Like I said, I just, you know, I've got the 68 Dart that I just bought. I don't know what I'm going to do with it yet, but classic muscle car that I'm going to, you know, that's my next project car right now. So, you know, that's why I love those things. And, yeah, Fletcher is uh, Fletcher is, is one of a kind. And he has made himself a decent living and, you know, built himself into legendary status in an NHRA with a 1969 Camaro. Yeah, I've known Dan for a long time, and I was 14 years old watching at Columbus when he got his first ever win. And um, somebody asked him once when he got his 100th win earlier this year, hey, Dan, did you ever think you'd win 100 of these? And he said, but I never thought I'd win one of these. So he is, and we've talked before on this show that, you know, we all know about John Forbes, Tony Schumacher, and stuff like that, but there are so many great stories you could make on the sportsman side of things about somebody like that that just, you know, quit his job and decided to do that for a living, and he's got to the level he's gotten to now. Well, quit his job with, Three kids at home, I believe under 10. And so you talk about an understanding life. Oh, man. You know, Donna must be a saint, um, you know, to, to let him do that and go out there and try to make that happen. But, you know, the status that, that he has gained, I think the fact that his 1969 Camaro is the single winningest car in NHRA history. And yes, John Forrest won 148 wins. He gets a new car every year. You know, Tony Schumacher's won 88 times or whatever the number is. He gets new cars all the time. Dan Fletcher, his 69 Camaro has more wins than any other single NHRA history. The winningest stock eliminator car in NHRA history is Dan Fletcher Stocker, his 69 Camaro. And, you know, Dan was the first guy to win super stock in a Copo. He did it with a stock eliminator car that was running in super stock, but still. And, you know, just all of the little pieces of history that he's carved out for himself are, are pretty impressive. I, you know, I hate the fact that he's not doing columns for a national dragster anymore because I think the tales from the road, you know, everybody, not everybody, the casual fan looks at Dan Fletcher and goes, wow, look at this guy, you know, living the rock star life. Um, 
but they don't understand the, you know, broken axle on the trailer at three o'clock in the morning or, you know, the, the motor home, you know, check light that came on when the thing shut down in the middle of, of Montana when he's 400 miles from the nearest dealer or whatever the other stuff that he goes through to try to make all this happen. And all of the stuff that he sacrificed missing, you know, with young kids at home. I mean, let me tell you, you're going to miss a lot of school plays, a lot of little league games. If your job is to be in Phoenix, because that's how you're putting food on the table. And I have a ton of respect for the guy and what he's done and, and you know, all that he's accomplished is, is nothing short of amazing. Yeah. And he made me feel old a couple Whenever his daughter turned or got her life, I don't know what it was, something with his daughter, and I said, really, is that the little girl that I played baseball with, pitched the ball to her at the U.S. Nationals one year because her brothers, the boys wouldn't, and I think it was somebody else's sons, wouldn't let her play with them. So I had to pitch the ball and stuff to her, and it's amazing, you know, the boys, obviously, they've been pretty damn successful, and I don't know if she has any plans to start racing, but I would guess that she'd be pretty good at it, too. I think she's done a little bit, kind of like, you know, on the local bracket level at, uh, you know, the local racetrack around the house. Um, and I think she's she's certainly held her own. You know, one of, one of my other Dan Fletcher stories, and this goes back, had to be early 90s someplace, uh, not someplace, it was in Seattle, I remember that. Uh, Harry Turner, who at the time was in charge of motorsports for GM, Dan had won in Superstock. And Harry Turner came over and introduced himself, and he said, you know, hey, you know, we'd like to get you in a, in a late model car. You know, think, you know, we can we can make a deal here. We'd like to have you in a late model car. And Dan said, you know, hey, you know, thank you, but this is my father's car. Um, you know, I'm, I'm never going to get rid of this car. I'm not going to give up this car. I'm not going to, you know, this, this is my car. And, you know, I certainly appreciate the fact that, you know, would, you would consider getting involved and help me out with this, but I, I'm, I'm never going to give up this car. This is going to be my race car. And Harry said, well, Hey, if you ever change your mind, he says, you know, you just let us know because we definitely would like to be on board with you. And he turned around and he took, took two steps. And I said, he's been thinking about getting a stalker. And okay absolute quick pivot and said could we get you in a late model stalker and that's when dan got the firebird and started racing in stock eliminator and being a two-car guy and it it was a year later before i realized on the back of the car where he had you know thanks donna thanks tim and thomas and taylor and thanks 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 and on the back of it my name was on the bottom of that and i said something to him and i said why is my name on there and he said dude if you hadn't said something i would have never had this thing he said i'd have never thought about telling the guy i was looking for a stalker Oh, that's kind of cool. So, okay, now I've got my own little, you know, success chapter in the uh, Dan Fletcher book of of how to go out and make a living in drag racing. Yeah, and we were talking about, you know, good stories. You know, obviously his late father's car is his super stock car. Not the Copo, but the Stalker is the car he drove back and forth to high school. So, Yep. Like I said, there's a lot of stories that could be written and talked about and exploited, I guess, out there in the sportsman ranks, more than just, you know, Force Schumacher, Ray Anderson, and people like that. There's there's a ton of stories out there, and you probably know a lot of them. Uh, I know a few of them, I think. And, yeah, you're right, you know, talking about Dan, you know, that, that Camaro of his is a legitimate Z28. 
his dad bought the car brand new, drove the thing home, turned it into a race car. And it spent the rest of its life either on the quarter mile or on the trailer. It hasn't been on the street ever since. You know, the the 69 stock eliminator car that you're talking about was Dan's high school car that then got turned into a bracket car. And when he wanted to turn it back into a stocker, they had to go back and put the wheel wells back in it, put the floor pans back in it, do because it had been tubbed and caged and, and turned into a bracket car. And in order to make it a stocker, they had to go, you know, through a reverse osmosis process to turn that thing back into a stock eliminator car. But yeah, there's, there's just a ton of stories like that out there in NHRA. And, you know, that's part of my job is to, you know, try to impart some of these as, as we move along. Um, you know, Richie Pauly, a guy out here on the West coast, has got a 428 Cobra jet Mustang that is an honest-to-God factory original radio delete, heater delete, rubber format, 428 Cobra Jet Mustang. It's been a race car its whole life. And it runs in stock eliminator. You know, that car put back to original at Barrett-Jackson would be worth a fortune. But for Richie, it's like, no, it's it was designed to be a race car. It's a race car. That's what I'm doing with it. And, and I think that's, you know, I think that's awesome that there's guys out there that aren't thinking about gee, I could make bank with this thing. They're thinking about, I am using this car for its designated purpose. And that's, that's a pretty cool deal. Ben Wenzel, you know, the 67 Camaro that we honored this year at Indy um, with, you know, with the 50th anniversary of the first Camaro win in NHRA. Um, there's, there's so many of those stories out there. I don't know that you could ever tell them all. That was my dad's first national event. I think he was there when Ben Wenzel won and, Don Garda shaved his beard and everything. So, you know, a lot of way back in the thing, there's a lot of great memories. And I would say you've probably been around and got to see and live through a lot of them. I certainly have I've been around and seen a lot of them. I wasn't around that long. In 1967, I was four years old. So I wasn't at the U.S. Nationals that year. But, you know, we spent the last couple of years, and when I say we, uh, those of us, you know, stat folks in the NHRA debating, you know, is Ben Wenzel really the first Camaro to ever win? Because Bill Jenkins won Superstock in a 1967 Camaro at the U.S. Nationals in '67, and nobody could definitively say did Stock run in front of Superstock. As a general rule, yeah, but the races were way less structured back then than they are now. And literally, we've debated this for a couple of years. Phil Burgess and I were having a conversation earlier this year when we were talking about doing something with Ben Wenzel and it came up, it's like, Hey, wait a minute. 1967. You guys took pictures on film. Digital cameras were a long ways from being invented. I said, you've got all the contact sheets, right? Yeah. Couldn't you go back and look? I mean, if somebody took a picture of Ben Wenzel's car and six frames later, they took a picture of Grumpy's car. Would that not be definitive proof? Or if it was the other way around, because, you know, back then you're shooting film, they might shoot 200, you know, 200 images over the course of the weekend. Now shooting digital, they shoot 200 images during the course of one time trial session. And so they went back and looked, and sure enough, there were pictures of Ben Wenzel's car in front of pictures of Bill Jenkins' car 
And as far as I'm concerned, that's definitive proof that that is the first Camaro to ever win an NHRA. And that's pretty much the way we told the story at Indy this year when it was the 50th anniversary of that. Well, that's pretty cool. Pretty cool. I know uh, Bob has another question for you, Alan. Sure. Hey, Alan, not so much question. I just personally want to thank you so much for coming on tonight. And uh, the other part of this is kindness with your comments every time the car comes up. And I go back to Englishtown maybe six, seven years ago. I was first out, and there something was wrong with the tree. I shut the car off, and I heard you say, ladies and gentlemen, if you ever wondered why the how the Titanic got to the ocean, this car right here in the left lane towed it. And <laughs> I, my mom, I just sat in the car and laughed. I had tears in my eyes. It was so funny. I, I don't know where you get it, but it, it's good stuff, and I want to say thank you as a racer, you know, for being so kind to us. Well, you're, you're very welcome. Thank you for the kind words. I just, I love the cars. I'm a car guy. And, you know, like I mentioned earlier, I have a 67 Mustang sitting right here in my shop. It is my most prized possession. And I just love the cars. And the guys that have some imagination, you know, the guys that that looked at whether it's, you know, your great big old wagon or whether it's uh, there's an escort that runs around out here on the West Coast and runs in stock eliminator or whether it's, you know, a gremlin in Super Street or whether it's, a guy that takes, you know, takes a look at that car and goes, hey, hey I'm going to put some mag wheels on that baby and it'll be a race car. I just love those guys because I am one of those guys. So, uh, and I try to remember again what Steve Evans told me all those years ago. Is that, you know, everybody that's out there on the racetrack in the car is somebody's hero. And if you got a car that's unique and a car that stands out, I'm going to do my best to try to point out that, hey, look, this isn't everybody else. This is a guy that's doing things a little bit differently and having success doing it, and I think that's awesome. Well, thank you again. You're quite welcome. Thank you for the kind words. So I, I guess one last question for you, Alan, before we uh, let you go and, and uh, sure. get on the working working in the shop where it was. And, and what we were talking before you came on, before we had all the technical difficulties, and and you being, you know, like you said, you love the cars, you like the sports and racing and stuff like that, but, you you know, you, you have diversity between everything or it was. You know, recently, probably about two weeks ago, IHRA, you know, came out saying, you know, we're we're getting rid of all the sportsman stuff. We're dot .90 cars, stock super stock, top drags, top sportsman, going away. Now, personally, you know, being in the NHRA, you know, do you, do you how do you see, like, the future with the sportsman guys? Because – you know, like you were saying, you know, a lot of guys don't understand what throttle stop racing is. I mean, it's, you know, you go to a racetrack because, you know, you want to see a car go A to B and how fast it's going to go. Why is this car leaving the starting line, falling on its face, and then at 600 feet out, it's going, you know, full bore again. So, you know, I mean, do you see, you know, I, I guess, like, what's your take on it? I mean, if you want to answer it, I mean, it's, you know. Well, you know, the dot ninety stuff is just a different form of racing. Um, instead of, you know, all out, all, you know, wide open performance, how quick can you make it go? Um, the technical aspects of it make it very, very difficult to win. I don't believe that it's the most uh, fan-friendly categories that we have in NHRA, but I do think that if the person in my position explains what you're seeing, and how difficult it is to win, 
that it is still a very exciting way to race. I love the way, I love the fact that, you know, you can get into a super gas or a super street or a super comp car without having to necessarily like hawk your house and sell all your prized possessions because you have to keep up spending with the Joneses, even though some of the guys are way out spending the Joneses. But the fact that you can be competitive without having to spend a fortune and that you can still come out and compete, I hope, and I would guess that Rich Rich Schaefer in particular is very active about this because he has been a real big conduit between IHRA and NHRA down in Division Two. Uh, I hope that he's reaching out to some of those folks and going, hey, we still have a place for you. If IHRA doesn't have a place for you, NHRA still does have a place for you. And, you know, perhaps some of those some of those teams, some of those cars will, will migrate over here. You know, I know over the years there have been a lot of people – that race on the IHRA side of the fence that have looked at NHRA as kind of, you know, like the big bad monster over there. But there have been a lot of guys that have crossed the fence and had a lot of success over here. You know, you look at Anthony Bertozzi, I think is, is a perfect example. Um, um, Jacob. Oh God, I can't believe I just lost his no, name. Uh, Jacob. The one. Elrod. Yeah. Yeah. yeah Jake Elrod, Elrod. That won the super gas championship a couple of years ago that, you know, made made the transition to NHRA and was enthusiastically welcomed and had a lot of success. And hopefully some of those other racers will look over and go, you know what, maybe maybe there's a place for us over here. You know, NHRA this year has extended an olive branch to some of the outlaw, you know, the redemption folks down in Texas, the uh, X275 guys up in, in Bristol, um, you know, some of the other – some of the other non NHRA entities to come out and be a part of our show. You know, it's all drag racing and NHRA, I think would very much like to include everybody that wants to be a part of what we do. You know, we understand that there are a number of racers out there that don't necessarily fit into any of our class categories uh, but we don't want them to feel like, you know, you're not welcome, you're not wanted, you've, you've got no place in NHRA, and it's all part of the continuing evolution. So hopefully um, some of those IHRA racers that have now all of a sudden found themselves homeless, for lack of a better word, uh, will will at least take a look and uh, and give us a chance. Come over to this side of the fence. I think we'd be glad to have you. Very cool. Very cool. Well, uh, we're going to let Alan get back to working on some of his hot rods and get a little bit of rest before he heads on out to Vegas in a couple of weeks or so. But a uh, big thank you to Alan Reinhardt for coming on uh, Wheels Up Radio, and big thank you to Bob Bender for getting Alan uh, wrestled up here to, to come on up, and maybe we'll get Brian Loons and, and Alan on here one night, and we'll just you know let them let them uh, let them loose, which <laughs> which would probably be uh, will probably be the FCC probably coming after us. But um, anyway, so. Big thank you to Alan Reinhardt for coming on Wheels Up Radio tonight. And, uh, you know, wish you luck the rest of the season, Alan, and uh, good luck in Vegas and Pomona. Well, thank you very much. It's been my pleasure to be here. I'm glad that uh, I'm glad that we were able to put this thing together. And if you guys would like to have me back sometime, I'd love to do it. Just, uh, you know, you, you've got my number, so keep in touch. And if there's something I can do for you, be happy to do it. And if you want to put Loans and I on some night, um, well, you know what? Maybe it'll turn into the Norwalk Comedy Show all over again. That, uh, that was a pretty big hit, I think, for all the fans and racers. So it'd be my pleasure the to do Charlotte it. Just tell was, me when. The, Charlotte, the Charlotte one was pretty good, too, I must say. The, the one, the, the second Charlotte, the September one, it was a pretty good, 
uh, deal between you and you and Loans too. So I, I, I but Norwalk was the best, I think. Well, I th- yeah, Nor- Norwalk was uh, you know Norwalk was the first, so that's always going to have like a little bit of a special place. But if circumstances allow, then uh, I think that uh, you know some of those some of those moments might come up again. You know, for anybody that's listening that doesn't understand, it was both of those were a situation where because of whether it was weather or circumstance or whatever, we ended up running well past what we were supposed to do, and we got into where Brian and I felt like we were doing a closed shirt, a closed circuit show for the hardcore fans and the race teams and the families and the friends. And that's pretty much the way we approached it where we could have some fun. We could bust some chops. Um, you know, it's, it was more of friends sitting around a campfire at that point than casual fans sitting in the stands that, that needed to be informed and entertained. And I think in both instances, it, uh, it went over pretty big, you know, Brian, Brian's the best. I'm very grateful that he's on our team right now. And uh, hopefully, hopefully he'll stay there as long as I do, because, you know, after I leave, I don't care what he does, but for now, uh, hopefully he'll stay there as long as I do. And I'm planning on being there for a while. That's a joke. (laughs) Awesome. Awesome. So, uh, Alan, you know, thanks again. We'll definitely have you back on. Um, you know, I, I think you have a world of stories that you could tell probably for the two hours that we're on air and just talk about drag racing in general. And uh, it, it's always awesome to just go down memory lane with uh, with guests. And uh, you definitely were uh, were awesome. So a big thank you. And like I said, uh, you know, thank you to Bob for setting everything up. And, uh, and you know, have fun in Vegas. Thank you, guys. Happy to come back anytime. Just let me know when. Thank you so much. Thank you, Alan. Awesome. We good? Absolutely. All right. Have a good evening. You too. Pretty cool guy. Yeah. Yeah, very knowledgeable. and, And, I mean, like I said, I mean, you could... I think we could probably spend another two hours on this show talking to Alan just about, you know, uh, drag racing in general, just about, you know, in just anything. I mean, it just, it was, it was very, you know, knowledgeable. And I think we, I think we also, you know, hit on a lot of stuff is what people didn't know about him. I mean, I read a little bit about him being a, a, um, you know, equipment operator out in Arizona and stuff, but I think a lot of people, you know, just look at him as Alan Reinhardt, NHRA announcer. They don't look at him as, you know, that he has three cars in his garage and, you know, he, you know, he's, he's doing this and he used to work for David Nickens and stuff. So it was, it was an awesome, awesome interview. So big thank you to Bob for uh, setting it up. Well, thank you because Alan's the kind of guy like at Maple Grove, he come out of the tower to take his break and he seen me there and immediately come over and, he, he started chatting, and not many people do that. And he he's just, you know, a very impressionable guy. And like like he said, he has fun. And later that week, and I went up the tower and I hung out hung out with him, him and Brian for a few minutes. And it's actually really cool. You go in the tower, and and they say, "Hey, man, how you been?" And 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 talk to you like they've known you for years. And a lot of people in his position don't do that, and that's what makes him a cool guy because he talks to everyone. But the thing is, he he hasn't forgot where he came from. He hasn't forgotten the, you know, the Saturday nights 
you know, at Firebird Raceway announcing Braggart Racing. I mean, he hasn't he hasn't forgot, you know, that that you know that type of stuff it was where some people, you know, they start out, you know, announcing at you know a rinky-dink little you know eighth mile track or a quarter mile track in their backyard, and they get that phone call from you know Peter Clifford saying, "Hey, we want you to come be the new announcer of NHRA." And they totally forget who, you know, who the, the, the guy that was announced next to him on Saturday nights or, you know, has no time to come back and visit, you know, his old track. And, and the thing with Brian, the thing with, you know, um, you know, Alan and, and even Joe Costello is that, you know, they haven't forgot where they came from. And, and I think that makes it a world, a difference, you know, with, you know, the people that, they talk to on a regular basis and knowing the racers, knowing their stories, you know, I hear it all the time when I'm listening to all access about how, you know, something might happen. A, a car, you know, was smoking at 800 feet and, and, uh, you know, I'll hear Alan go, well, I got to go down there and go figure out what's going on with them for next round. And, you know, he goes down to the pits, he finds out and he comes back up and he says, well, you know, they had a they had a, a valve cover that was loose and it was leaking oil down on the headers and that's what that's why it was leaking you know uh, second round of super comp and and so I mean they go down and they they interview the the people and and they find out why you know what's going on to, to tell the fans that you know that might be just there to see John Force and Tony Schumacher and and stuff and they're, and they're not there to see you know a super comp car or a stock car or a super stock car you know you know or they don't understand the stuff and. You know, Alan and Brian really, you know, keep that interest level up to, you know, up to par. Well, the first time I met him was in Englishtown. And when I put the car in high gear with the old stamp rockers, push rod went up through the rocker and made a big pop and the car slowed up. He came out of the tower, walked down to our pit and said, I know your car runs faster than that, man. What happened? And he hung out for 15, 20 minutes just talking. And I, I felt like I was a superstar that, you know, here's this guy out of the tower that's the head announcer, and he's talking to me. So, I mean, he, he's just a great guy. Yeah, and, and I must say, I mean, you know, I think NHRA went through a little bit of a lull for a, a little bit with, you know, personalities and stuff and, and people that, that were you really couldn't um, – adhere to, I guess you say, but I think the team, you know, the team that they have now, uh, you know, with Brian, with Alan, you know, kind of wish Mark Lyle was still around because I think Mark was an awesome guy or it was, and, and Mark would have been a, a, a big time fit with Alan and, and Brian and all them guys or it was. And, and, you know, the story you say, Bob, from, you know, when he was around in, at the Keystones and, and Summer Nationals and stuff. And, and, you know, I think that would have been an awesome team if, if, you know, unfortunately Mark was still around, but, you know, yeah, Mark Mark was a heck of a guy, man. He was a lot, a lot like Alan, a lot like Brian, because this past year at the Summers, Brian come down and said hi. And he says, man, he said, this thing even looks bigger down here than it did from the, from the booth. And, you know, to me, that's just, that's fun times. Yep, yeah. That's what it's about, is having fun at the racetrack. I mean, that's that's really what it's all about. And, you know, like well, I said... Yeah, I I have something just come up. I'm gonna have to bow out of here. So you guys take no care. I'm I'm glad Alan made it tonight, and I will chat with you gentlemen later. All right, Bob.
right. Thanks, Bob. Hope to see you at Hagerstown. All right. That's what I'm talking about. Good night. Anything for you, Bob? All right, guys. So we got about seven minutes or so left here uh, on Wheels Up Radio. Uh, big thank you to our guest, um, uh, Alan Reinhardt tonight, and Bob Bender for uh, putting that all together. Uh, so, like I said, we got about seven minutes or so. Uh, believe uh, talking a little bit about the IHRA before uh, before Alan came on, and we had all technical difficulties. And of course, the Yellow Bullet National is not uh, going to have the Sportsman guys next year. And uh, just a lot of happenings going on. Uh, I guess you would say silly season has started a little earlier than what normally does happen. Uh, normally, you know, it's it's probably after Pomona that you start to see driver changes or new sponsors or, or little things. But, uh, you know, uh, I'm hoping that with the IHRA, you know, downfall with them getting rid of the sportsman guys that, uh, you know, it, it not only does help the NHRA guys, um, and the biggest thing I think it's going to see is they're going to up quotas or not. Because now they're going to have a, a lot more quotas. Uh, they're going to have a lot more cars that want to go racing. And, and then also I think it's going to help the associations out a lot too. I, I hope so. Um, Mike, I'm not sure if you've got any feedback from anybody around your area that, that is, you know, interested in possibly coming in and running with you next year because, you know, now, they, now they're less, you know, X amount of races because I very folded or as far as with the sportsman guys? I haven't heard anything yet, but <clears throat> they said there's quite a few cars, well, I don't know, six, seven or so, <clears throat> that are IHRA-only cars. That's the only place they can run, or like in my series, our series, or in, you know, the Buckeye Stock Super Stock Series isn't very far away, but... Um, I can't really see it being, you know, a bad thing for us if it if it does get us a few more cars because people maybe they only ran with us once or twice a year, but now they run with us more because there's nowhere else to go. And then some of the people with NHRA legal cars may go to that, but um, I guess we're really we're gonna have to I guess see what'll happen because. Obviously, again, with the crate motors and stock GT and pure stocks, you know, they're, they can only other, <clears throat> excuse me, run series like mine because IHRA is gone. Some of the cars that are legal NHRA cars, cannot, they're obviously okay. I know if you look over the past probably five or ten years, five years especially, a lot of people that had crate motor stalkers or whatever built their car to be legal NHRA cars. Instead of running, say, G crate motor, now it runs E or F stock automatic. So they, you know, they were okay because, like I said earlier, I never would have built or bought a IHRA only car just for just for circumstances and now especially with what's happened in the past month or so, but yeah, we'll definitely have to see. I can't see it really hurting our series that much. It should probably help you would think, but I guess we'll have to see what, what all happens for, for next year. Yeah. Yeah. It's definitely going to be interesting. I, I know personally if I've probably got about 20 
20 emails, 20 messages, and uh, a few calls from some guys or it was who uh, who uh, are interested in possibly running the series next year. So uh, it's definitely going to make things interesting. And, um, you know, like I said, hopefully in the next couple of weeks or so, we'll have a division schedule out and we can start playing the chess game as the, to find out where to put dates and everything else. So, Yeah, for sure. And, you know, for people like you or I, you know, we definitely, we kind of need that to help set our schedule because, you know, it'd be real easy for me to set a schedule just, you know, say like right now. But you don't know when Columbus is going to be, when Norwalk's going to be closest any try races to us. And you know, I don't you know, I don't ever want to schedule a race at say Quaker City or Dragway forty two or somewhere like that, or even Keystone on top of Norwalk or Columbus because a lot of people from this area you know, I'm only about two and a half or so hours from Norwalk, only about three hours from Columbus. A lot of folks go to those because they're close for them also, so I would I know better than to schedule that. You know, it'd be like for you, you where your series is, you wouldn't schedule anything on top of Englishtown, Atco, or Cecil. So, yeah, once the divisional yeah. schedules come out, um, we'll know a bit more. And now there's one less thing for you and I to work around. You know, we talked before. I know the only IHRA race you really probably had to worry about was Bud's Creek and if they still had that one up in – Central New York, I can't remember the name of it. Um, Empire. But, but there's Empire, then there's another one that's a little further east than that. Um, I just can't well, it was, think of the name. There was Skyview. There was Skyview. Yeah. That, that, that didn't happen. Yeah, okay, that might be the one that went away, but you know, yeah. around where I live, some of the IHRA races that used to exist don't anymore, but there was a time when I started chasing IHRA points, they took the best five out of your seven races, and I had I had four within 100 miles. So, you know, now there's one less thing, I guess, to, I have to worry about, which is, you know, from a selfish standpoint, yeah, it's great for me, but it, it sucks for all the people I know that have IHRA-only cars, you know, obviously, stock and super stock, it's a little different than dot .90, you know. You know, super comp and quick rod, different names, same thing. It's different than, say, a pure stock or a crate motor or whatever. So, you know, the selfish part of me says, you know, hey, it's a good thing, but I said I still feel bad for the people in this area, which there are quite a few that have IHRA-only cars, and now the biggest thing for them has gone away. Yeah. Well, we got to wrap it up. we got about 10 seconds left. So thank you to Alan Reinhardt. Thank you to Bob Bender. Thank you to Mike. We'll be out. We'll be back Monday night. Wheels Up Radio. (laughs) 